he was a Greek warrior. As crown prince, he received the finest education in the Macedonian courts under the celebrated tutor Aristotle. At the age of 20, already so charismatic and decisive in his leadership that he was able to harness the Macedonian forces into the premier fighting force of the world. By the time of his death, he had conquered the known world. He was young. He was great. He was Alexander the Great. What a king. So after quashing a rebellion in his own kingdom, he decided that he would take on the Persian Empire. And so then his, his first attack came to a border town called Hamath. And, and there in Hamath, he just wiped them out and then moved 132 miles south to the city of Damascus, there to take on that king of the Persian Empire, Darius III, who was known as the King of Kings. And he was conquered. After he had conquered the Aramaeans, Alexander then moved to the Phoenician Empire. He came to the cities of Tyre and Sidon, and Sidon was the mother city, and it was so frightened by the massive army and the reputation of Alexander the Great that it just basically went belly up and said, take whatever you want, we give in. The sister city of Tyre was a little bit different. Tyre was the greatest commercial and naval city in the world. The name Tyre means rock, and these people were so certain of, their, of their, their power and their might and their ability, they said that they could outwit a god. The name Tyre does mean rock, and therefore the city sat upon a rock that they say was about 700 paces from the shore. And surrounding that city were two walls. It was double-walled, and the walls were 150 feet high. So to give you an idea, uh, show the Bicentennial Tower if you've got it there for me. If you take the Bicentennial Tower and cut off about 30 feet, that's the size of the walls, the height. No kingdom before had ever been able to penetrate those walls. Nobody could get in. Not even Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire could penetrate those walls. But for some very odd reason, Alexander the Great, with his, his navy, were able to probe those walls till they found a small weakness in one of the walls, and using that entrance, were able to penetrate the city and destroy the people and destroy the city. From there, they moved into the region of Philistia, wiping out city after city after city, and then, next stop, Jerusalem. The Jewish historian Josephus describes what happened because at this moment... The Jews have returned from their captivity, from the 70 years of being out in the Babylonian Empire. They've come back, and they've been able to build a wall. They've been able to just now finish the temple in its must-reduced size. And now they're confronted with this massive army and this horrific reputation. Josephus says that the priest, educated by a divine revelation, puts on his royal robes, and with him a company of people in white robes go out of the city to greet this general. And when they come to him, Alexander the Great goes prostrate on the ground and explains to the priest that he had had a dream where he met a man of God dressed exactly as that priest was dressed. And he believed that that city was God-protected. 
And therefore, on his way to Egypt, to conquer Egypt, he did not molest, he did not oppress the city. And on his way back, and on his way to India, where he would conquer part of India, he never touched Jerusalem. Why? Because two centuries before, 200 years before, a prophet named Zechariah, who you read about this week, you will read part of this prophecy, under the direction of Jehovah God, declares what God's intent will be for Hamath, for Damascus, for Sidon, for Tyre, for Philistia, for Jerusalem. And this is what he said. Zechariah chapter 9 says this. This is the message from the Lord against the land of Aram and the city of Damascus for the eyes of humanity, including all the tribes of Israel, are on the Lord. Doom is certain for Hamath near Damascus and for the cities of Tyre and Sidon, though they are so clever. Tyre has built a strong fortress and has made silver and gold as plentiful as dust in the streets. But now the Lord will strip away Tyre's possessions and hurt its fortifications or hurl its fortifications into the sea, and it will be burned to the ground. The city of Ashkelon will see Tyre fall and will be filled with fear. And Gaza will shake with terror, as will Ekron, for their hopes will be dashed. And Gaza's king will be killed, and Ashkelon will be deserted. And foreigners will occupy the city of Ashdod, and I will destroy the pride of the Philistines. And I will guard my temple, and I'll protect it from invading armies. For I am watching closely to ensure that no more foreign oppression or oppressors overrun my people's land. So the Jews had returned from their captivity. They had built a wall. They had, had begun to rebuild the temple and now completed it and begun to say, okay, now God, what is our destiny? What is our future? And now they're faced with this great army. What is God's destiny for them? And God is telling them that there is coming a king who will change the world but will protect God's people. And it's not Alexander. For Zechariah continues and he says this, verse 9, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So this week, Pam and I, on Monday, you know, Monday, when it was warm Monday, <laughs> the streets were clear that Monday, we were driving down Peach Street and had gotten to Wegmans, going down the Wegmans Hill, heading north. When we looked to our right and saw the most unlikely thing I'd ever seen, some of you may remember this, remember those? So there's this person on one of those, a scooter. She is wearing a really beautiful dress. Her hair is styled very nicely. She's wearing a backpack, keeping pace with the traffic. And we ascertained by looking at her that she had to be in her early 80s. Now, if that's you and you're in your 40s, I apologize. I'm sure it was just the wind. In her 80s. How unlikely. The Jews say we've got a king coming. 
And when they look to see, what they're about to see is so unlikely. Because if you're looking for a king, what are you looking for? You're looking for someone like Alexander the Great or Darius the King of Kings, Darius the Third, or at least Tiberius. See, when Julius Caesar died, his son Augustus declared that Julius Caesar was divine and therefore Augustus was the son of God. And so Rome declared that the son of God has become the king of the world. When Augustus died, his son Tiberius took the title. And it's into that culture, into that understanding that this prophecy now 500 years before, this prophecy is now being fulfilled and a king arrives. And Matthew records exactly what happened. Matthew says, when they neared Jerusalem, having arrived at Bethpage on Mount Olives, Jesus sent two disciples with these instructions, go over to the village across from you. You'll find a donkey tethered there, her colt with her. Untie her and bring them to me. And if anyone asks what you're doing, say the master needs them and he will send them with you. And this is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet. Tells Ion's daughter, look, your king's on his way, poised and ready, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, foal of a pack animal. The disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They led the donkey and colt out, laid some of their clothes on them, and Jesus mounted. And nearly all the people in the crowd threw their garments down on the road, giving him a royal welcome. Others cut branches from the trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead and crowds followed, all of them calling out, Hosanna to David's son, blessed is he who comes in God's name. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And as he made his entrance into Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, unnerved. People were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? And the parade crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus the one from Nazareth in Galilee. What's going on here? Who is this? Jesus is about to answer. For shortly thereafter, religious leaders came to him and presented him with a coin, a Roman coin. It is the image of Caesar Tiberius. On that coin, that coin that Jesus was looking at, the coin would say this, above that image, it would say, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. On the flip side of the coin would be these words, chief priest. And the religious leaders hand Jesus the coin and say, should we pay tribute to this one? This one who is son of God? This one who is chief priest? And Jesus being the Son of God, and the chief priest now has to answer. Jesus' response, and many of you have read it before, was, was simply this, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God. But here is really what Jesus is saying. You decide what belongs to which king. You decide who you want as your priest. For as the king goes so goes the kingdom. Now, do you feel the tension there? Because it's the same tension you feel today. So let me ask you some questions. 
what will you do with your sexuality? Can I follow Jesus and have sexual relationships outside of marriage? Here's what Jesus says. Here's what the prevailing culture, the kingdom says. Now, to which king do you give your sexuality? You choose. I have possessions. I have money. I have dollars. And there's things I want to do with those, th those dollars and things I want to do with those possessions. But I have to come to this place. Jesus says, here's what I want you to do with your money. Here's what... The prevailing culture, the kingdom says, here's what you should do with your money. The question is, to which do you give that? Which king? Get your possessions. Because as the king goes, so goes the kingdom. What do you do with what you have? Marriage is tough. Pastor, if you, just, if you just knew how tough this marriage is, and, and so I think we just come to the conclusion to behold it easier just to get rid of the marriage and, 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 and just both of us just start all over again. Well, I understand that. I really do understand it. But, but Jesus said this is how marriage should be, and the prevailing culture says this is how marriage should be. And the question is, to which king do you give your marriage? So as the king goes, so goes the kingdom. Zechariah said that this one who was coming, this king, would be righteous. That word righteous actually means the clear self. It, it, it means to, to make right. It means that you have a clear understanding of what is right and you move that direction. Jesus knew exactly what was right to do and he did it. To belong to the King Jesus is to clearly or to do clearly the right thing, which means there are absolutes because we want to live with everything being relative. But to do the right thing means there have to be absolutes. And this King said, there are absolutes which I will follow. As the King goes, so goes the kingdom. Often Alexander would, would, in an unjustly violence, attack people who came against his, 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 his passions, the things he wanted to do. If you get in my way, I'll destroy you. That's, that's, why, that's why we want things to have, be, have relativity. We don't want absolutes because we want to destroy absolutes because we want to follow our passions. It's a thing that we want to do. But Jesus... Jesus understands what it is to, to want something and not get it. For just before he was to die, he's praying, and he says, okay, now, if there's any other way that we can do this, I would really like to do this some other way. If there's any other way, because I just really don't want to do this. But if there's not, not my will but yours. The second time he prayed, this time he prayed, knowing that there's no other way not my will but yours. And then he prayed it again because he's still struggling with it because his passion says, I don't want to do this, but not my will, yours. Jesus takes his passion and he submits it to his righteousness because he is going to do clearly the right thing. Everything we possess, 
everything we do will go to some kingdom, will be given to some king. And Jesus says, I will take my passion, this passion that wants not to do this, and I will bury it under that which is right, that which is clearly the right thing to do. And then, because of that, Jesus dies so that you and I can have forgiveness of our sins. So as the king goes, so goes the kingdom. So my question for us is, Who's your king? Alexander the Great butchered and murdered tens of thousands of people. He sold into slavery hundreds of thousands of people only so that he could amass more. Which begs the question, how much is enough so that I'm able to not collect but to share? I think of many of you in this community of faith who are in the foster care system, you, you help with foster children and, and you do an amazing thing because what you do is that you take your life and you open it up and in your open space of life, you invite someone in. And in doing so, you release them from their bondages. You give them a safe place. That's exactly the description that Zechariah used when he said, this one coming, this king will be victorious. Not victorious like Alexander who... who removed those in his way. But the word actually means one who opens up his life completely, holding nothing back so that he can invite others in so that he can then help them be released from their bondage and find safety. Belonging to King Jesus is to provide ways to save others. And if the king is saving others, shouldn't I? So as the king goes, so should the kingdom. Which means this, I cannot demand my rights and save other people at the same time. I can't do it. It's impossible. The scripture tells us that Jesus did not consider it important for him to keep hold of his rights as God. He released them. Philippians 2 tells us he released them so that in releasing them, he could come to us and serve us to the ultimate by even giving his life. He did not hold on to his rights so that he could save others. So it's horribly inconvenient to love unlovable people. Do you know that? It's horribly inconvenient to share our stuff when we want to keep it for ourselves. It's horribly inconvenient to give up our hobbies or what we like to do so that we can spend time with people who are going through very tough life issues. It's horribly inconvenient to be with someone we would rather choke than compliment. But understand, this king did not come to gain his worth. This king came to give us worth. So as the king goes, so goes the kingdom. Who's your king? Now, quite honestly, if I had been with Jesus in, in that first century and I had watched him turn water into wine, if I'd watched him walk on water, if I'd watched him heal a person covered with leprosy so that the skin is like brand new, 
If I'd watched him confront thousands of demons and they leave, if I'd watched him take a little girl and raise her from the dead, if I had watched him on top of a mountain suddenly begin to glow with a divine glow, I would have said, this is a king. So when it came to the time for the parade to announce the inauguration of this king into this kingdom, and if I was in charge of of the promotion, if if I was going to brand this thing, I would have passed these out to Jesus and all his disciples. Because he is so super. And not only should he wear it, but because we're his followers, I get to wear one? Would that not be cool? Yet Jesus says, I don't want that. In fact, Jesus says, I'm going to ride a donkey, which is the brand of the common people. See, I would much rather wear a shirt that has that on it than a donkey, even though my name is Jack and it would go well with the other. (laughs) Now, I know you people, don't any of you make a T-shirt for me. Jesus wants it very clear that his triumph on the earth will not come from earthly political priorities or power because that's not his kingdom. And I got to pause here and tell you that you look at this country and you say, if we only had more people in political power, if we only had this, if we only had a Christian nation, if we, I'm going to just tell you that Jesus doesn't deal in that realm in, in the respect that he's going to take over this country because we have the right party in office. It's not going to happen. Jesus said it's going to show up because I'm humble. And the people that were of the kingdom that wanted him to be that way, that wanted him to be Superman, and he refused to do it, said, well, he's an imposter, let's kill him, and they did. And three days later, he rises from the grave, and he is crowned king of all kings. But understand that for that to happen, the cross came before the crown. Belonging to King Jesus is to bear the pain, anticipating the promise. For Jesus would say, hanging on that cross, feeling that pain, he would say, why have you left me? Why do I feel so alone? But into your hands, I commit my spirit. You made a promise and you're going to keep it because we have a covenant here that if I shed my blood, you're going to take care of this. So I I want to say to us who sit here today who are suffering with issues, and and I've, I've talked to some of you already this morning, and I don't understand why you're still going through it. I don't understand it. And I wish I could give you some slick answer or a formula that would change it. I wish I could just tell you you don't have enough faith, but that's wrong because some of you have more faith than I have. But I can only tell you this, that when we feel foolish or when we feel oppressed or when we feel powerless, we feel weak, we have to come to the place that we say we understand that sometimes the pain comes before the promise, the cross comes before the crown.
For Zechariah went on to say this, Because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will free you. I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. So now come back to the place of safety, all you prisoners who still have hope. I promise this very day that I will repay two blessings for each of your troubles. He said, now, here's the deal. I'm going to make a covenant with the Father, a blood covenant. In fact, we use this passage talking about the forgiveness of our sins. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all impurity. And if you're still carrying sin and a, and a, and a, and a guilty conscience today, if you confess that to him and ask him to forgive you, he does that. He removes that because he is faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the covenant. Because once he makes a promise, it cannot be broken. Even when he made a promise to David's household that there would come a king out of David that would rule this world, and David's family were such evil kings, he would not destroy that kingdom because he had made a promise. So he said, here's my promise to you. I promise that no matter what dungeon you find yourself in right now, no matter how dark it is, no matter how painful it is, no matter how ugly it is, no matter how fearful you feel, no matter how lonely you feel. I'm telling you right now, he says, I'm telling you that, that Jehovah God, that Jesus is preparing a place and a way for you out of this thing, if you will just trust him. No matter how long it seems to go, no matter what it looks like, because understand that he does not, just not, does not work just in our three dimensions. He works in dimensions beyond anything we could think of, and he's doing things that you cannot see. So he says, do this. Come back to the place of safety. Well, what is that? That's wherever he is. You see, you're smart for being here this morning, even if you feel like he's abandoned you. You've come to the place of safety. You've come to a place of worship because he said, I will establish my throne of power upon your worship. So that there are the moments when you say, I don't feel you, I don't sense you, but I'm still here because I believe you. Because this is a faith thing. So come back to the place of worship. Come back to the community where there will be those who surround you, who talk to you, who encourage you, who walk with you. The worst thing you possibly can do when you're feeling, feeling so abandoned and, and, and so overwhelmed is to hide yourself. The best thing you can do is, is call upon those who will continue to walk with you. The Greek word is parakletos. It's used of the Holy Spirit. It's used of us too, where we come alongside of someone and when they can't walk, we carry each other. Come back to the place of safety. Come back to his holy scripture because it says that it is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. That even when you read the scriptures and don't understand it, there's a breathing of God's spirit coming into you. Come back to the place of safety and bring your hope. And sometimes hope is simply this, and I've had to do this. I, I, I remember when I was unemployed and we were going to be foreclosed on our house because I just simply could not pay it. And Pam and I just said, God, if we lose our house, if we lose whatever, we still trust you because you got a plan. And, and I said, but, but I do have a question. What kind of a witness is it if, if it, my credit rating goes down? <laughs> I thought maybe I could manipulate him a little bit, see? And he said to me, I really felt, felt like he said to me, even if you lose your credit rating, I will return something greater to you. So there are going to be those moments 
when we thought our, our, our third child was gonna die in the hospital, we had to pray, God, even if we don't understand why you would take him, we still trust you because where else can we go? So some of you today have just got to say to him, I don't understand why I'm feeling this. I don't understand why you're not answering. I don't understand any of this, but I'm gonna tell you, my faith in you still remains strong because faith is not an emotion, it's a decision, and I've decided that I will trust you. So you gotta come to that place. And here's his promise. For every trouble you have encountered, he said, I will pay you back two blessings. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I could give him a list. <laughs> but he said, I'm going to give that to you. See, every other king can only gain power and possessions by taking from others. This king releases his power and possessions so that he can save others. And that's what makes Jesus so special. So the king says, now you decide. You decide which of these things you have belongs to which king. Because that will determine who your priest is. Because as the king goes, so goes the kingdom. So how do we respond to that this morning? That this is the king and how do we respond to him? So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And as they're coming... I'm also going to ask now the elders and their spouses and the council and their spouses and staff that are available and spouses to come and just stand in front of these front pews and face me. Would you do that right now? And just spread across the front. Stand right in front of those pews and just face me so you can leave space here. And don't block the aisles, if you will. That's it. Okay. That's it. Stand there and face me. There you go. And move down that direction too. That's great. Leave, leave room in the aisles. Don't want to clog the aisles. Okay. Thank you. Here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, we're going to, we're going to go back into some worship expressions, but I have, I have a question for us here. How do you respond to this king? Some of you seated here today understand that you have not done clearly the right thing. And my question is, who's your king? And this morning, you've got to decide, I, I've, got to, I've, I've got to do the right thing. I just, I know, I, I'm dealing with this this week. There's, and there's, this thing, there's this thing that I'm dealing with that God said, you know what? I've told you to do this and you're not doing it. And I hate it when he does that. But I've got to deal with this. And so I've, I've, today, I've got to make a decision, who's the king? For some of you, you've kept your life pretty closed. You've kept your finances closed. You've kept your time closed. You've, you've taken all that you have and you've kept it closed. And you know that God's telling you to, to go help save somebody. And you know if you do, it's going to take you of your time. It may even mean that you can't do the things you like to do. It means you may have to give out more money than you want to give out. It may mean some of your resources got to go someplace else. But he's telling you, I need you to help save some people. So you've got to open up. And for some of you, you've lost your hope. And today, you've got to return back to the safety of his presence. You've got to come back and say, no matter what it costs, no matter what it is, I'm going to trust you. Here's my hope. Because he said, for every trouble, I will give you two blessings. So in just a moment, as we begin to sing, 
I'm going to invite you to come. And, and if you just want to pray over that, you come here. Because I, I think it needs a step of faith. So often Jesus said, I need you to do something physically to show what's happening in here. And so I'm going to invite you to come and just spend some time here as we're worshiping. And, and whatever you need, whatever you need to give to that king, you do. Because which king do you want to serve? Because whatever king you serve is the priest that's leading you. And there's only one king and only one priest that will get you to God. And that's the direction you want to go. And as you're coming, these folks are standing here because some of you may need someone to agree with you in prayer. You may say, I'm just, I'm just, I have lost hope. Can you pray with me? Or I need just to be held accountable because I got to go do this thing. I, I, gotta, I gotta do the right thing. So we're gonna do that. We're gonna, gonna invite you to come. We're gonna sing for a few moments and then I'm gonna come back and dismiss us. And so in just a moment, I'm gonna have you stand and please don't go out the back right now because I don't want you distracting somebody. <laughs> because you don't want to be responsible for distracting somebody that God's trying to help and heal today. So would you stand? And from the very moment that Tyler begins to sing, if you need to respond, and you got plenty of time, I, I got you out of here early already. You're good. Golden Corral will not close while you're here. You need to do some spiritual work this morning because it'll change your life because he loves you so deeply. So as he begins to sing immediately, you come and, and just stand here and, or you can kneel and just, just pour this out to God and these folks are here to pray with you and they will. And if you ask them to pray with you this week or call you, they will because we're going to walk this together. So as soon as we begin to sing, you come. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close, and no thing can compare your living home. Your presence, and I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves. It's where my heart becomes free, and my shame is undone. In your presence, Lord. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory. God is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, God. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare.
Tasted and seen all the sweetest of love. Where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. In your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence. Lord, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome. By your presence, Lord, in your presence, Lord, we are free, we are free in your presence, God. All shame, all fear. It goes away in your presence, God. We are free in your presence. There is freedom in your presence. So as we continue to pray here and continue to worship, I'm going to invite you that are standing. You're welcome to just stay in your place and continue to worship with us. If you feel like it's time for you to go, please do in reverence so you're not distracting anybody around you. We're so glad you're here today. God bless you. Walk in his mercy, his favor, and his grace. He loves you. God bless you. Let's continue to worship.